Hello, everyone. I'm Tim Muma. Thanks for checking out localjobnetwork.com radio. You've tuned into Employment Notebook, where we speak with expert guests on topics that might be affecting you in the workplace. That may include the feeling of being completely overwhelmed, and we've all probably experienced this at some point in our careers, and we're bringing on an individual with some tips to help you through those times. Joining the show is Erica Anderson, the founding partner of Proteus, where she has a wealth of experience helping executives and other leaders in their development and success. Erica, nice to have you with us again today. Thanks, Tim. I'm happy to be here. Now, as I mentioned, the idea of being overwhelmed, of course, I'm sure all of us have been there at some point. But I would argue, and maybe it's just my own personality or my sense, that it seems like it's happening more and it's more frequent and more people are feeling this way than maybe they did 20, 30 years ago. Do you get that same sense from the people you're around and the, maybe the things you've seen? Yeah, I, and I think it's objectively true. I was talking about some data that I found a couple months ago that even though people aren't being paid to work more hours, they're actually spending more hours in work-related activities. Right. And I think it's mostly because of electronics. I mean... I had an assistant who worked for me for a long time, an older woman who had a cell phone that she only kept for emergencies. And I think probably in that 13 years, I talked to her twice on her cell phone outside of office hours. <laughs> and now my assistant for the last few years, a young man in his mid-30s, you know, we're, we just, there's no time. Kind of, we text, <laughs> if I need to ask him something, he texts me back. Right. And I think that's true for most people. So we all kind of feel like we're always working. That's one thing. And then uh, since the recession, you know, Many managers have more people to manage. They're required to do the same or more with fewer resources. There is just this feeling of more coming at you all the time. And then on top of that, there's just our lives. There's so much information coming at us all the time. Sure. We have, we're bombarded with information. I think it just makes us feel overwhelmed. I think those are all very fair points and probably things that uh, people maybe uh, at some point have thought, yeah, this is definitely where we've gone as far as our careers and as a society. But let's let's move away from that and let's get into some ideas that maybe could help for those people that are maybe feeling the, the stress and the pressure of all this information, as you said, in the work they have. Again, we'll go through some of the points that you brought up, as you said, in a, a post you had written for Forbes. What would you say is the biggest one? What would you say is the best piece of advice you can offer up to start somebody who is feeling this way? Well, I, I think, and I thought about this when I was writing the article, and I often think about it when I'm talking to people. I think the, the, the best, the kind of fundamental piece of advice is actually one of the tips I, I offer, which is just stop for a minute. Hmm. I mean, and it may seem counterintuitive. When you're overwhelmed, it feels like you're playing whack-a-mole, you know, and it's just, <laughs> oh, I got to get this and this, and it's just all, all right. coming at me, and I got to just keep going. And that is a, it's a sort of self-fulfilling prophecy. You just get in this kind of like, oh, my God, I got 150 things to do in five minutes to do them, and and it's quite counterintuitive, but if you just stop, mm-hmm. just stop and take even 10 or 15 minutes, put down your phone, put down the piece of paper you're writing, just take a deep breath and think to yourself, okay, what are the most critical things for me to be doing right now? Or sure. what, do I, what do I need to get done before I leave for the day? You know, just to give yourself a moment to breathe and think. Sometimes the mist starts to clear a little bit and, and you a, you begin to see that it's not quite as bad as you think it is, but then you can start incorporating some of these other little techniques. Right, right. No, I think I think it's important to stop and uh, smell the roses a little bit, so to speak. <laughs> now, one thing that stood out to me is, uh, it's probably because I feel this way a lot, is uh, the idea of meetings. Obviously, we need meetings in a, in a lot of cases. I'm not a big meetings guy, personally. I like to kind of you know just go with it, and, and I, I know you need to check in and do that. What's sort of your advice, though, with meetings and if you have to have them, any any tips to share as far as being able to help them be more effective, maybe be more efficient in a lot of ways? 
Yeah, there's there's one thing that I wrote in this particular article we're talking about that I think is, is useful, but there are a couple of other things too. So the thing I talked about in the article is make sure that meetings are have clear agendas. Mm-hmm. And I say this to people and they kind of roll their eyes because they think of that as being some cumbersome, burdensome process, but there's a very simple approach that we've taken for years that's really helpful because it's astonishing to me. And I often say this to my senior clients, if you get a meeting of a very, a very senior team in a big organization, and they're meeting for an hour, and there are 10 of them. That is wildly expensive time. Right. That 10 hours is costing the company many thousands of dollars. So it's really important to know why the heck you're meeting. So, so what we say is, if you're going to have a meeting, make sure that for everything you're talking about, it's our acronym is TTOG, that you know topic, time, owner, goal. So what are we talking about? How long are we going to talk about it? Who owns it means who's going to carry it forward once we've decided what we're going to do about it. And what's the goal? And I think the goal is the most important thing because most meetings, people just start talking about stuff. They don't know how long they're going to talk about it. They don't know who's responsible for carrying it forward. And more, most important, they don't know why they're talking about it. Hmm. Are we just kind of shooting the breeze? Are we trying right. to find something? So if you can say, we're, we're talking about this in order to make a decision, or we're talking about this in order to just get everybody in the loop, or we're talking about it in order to decide, should we table it or should we move forward? You know, why are we talking about this? Then it makes it feel much more useful and purposeful and much less time tends to be wasted. So that's thing one. Second thing is, make sure that you have the right people in the meeting. Often people are just kind of randomly invited to a meeting in a meeting where there are only maybe six people who really A, need to talk about the things that are being talked about, and B, are the people that are going to move them forward. There's only six people who really should be in the meeting, and there's 20 people in the meeting. So the other 14 people are just sitting there feeling, why the heck am I here? This is a complete waste of my time. I ought to be back at my desk doing something, right? So make sure that the right people are at the meeting. And then the final thing is, make sure that that the meeting has an overall purpose. For instance, I was talking to somebody a few weeks ago, and I said, so you guys have this meeting every two weeks, and it's a bunch of people from these different departments, why do you have this meeting? What's the purpose of this meeting? And the woman I was talking to said, well, I guess, I guess the purpose of it is that we've always had it. <laughs> <laughs> and I said, you know what? That's really not a good purpose. And well, there was no purpose. They stopped having it. So if the purpose of the meeting is to make sure, for instance, that the senior team is all on the same page about important initiatives, that's a real purpose. Right. So if you can't say what the purpose of the meeting is in a sentence or two, you know, you might want to wonder whether or not you should really have it. I think that's a fair point. And that actually leads into some of the other aspects that, uh, you know, I think are important that you mentioned as, as tips. And the idea of, as you said, there's a lot of work that we might be having to do. And there also may be a lot of processes that we go through that, as you said, maybe we don't know the purpose of. Maybe they don't have one in the grand scheme of things. What do you tell people to look for or maybe what they can do to lessen that load a little bit and lessen the actual work they need to do that in some cases might not be necessary? Yeah, I, I love that. And I did, it did come up in a couple of the tips that I, that I offered in this article. So one of the things I often recommend to people is that they really look seriously at kind of everything they're doing, just really thing by thing and take an inventory and ask yourself, first of all, does this need to get done at all? <laughs> Because a lot of times there are things that happen, especially in organizations, they just, we start doing things and then we never stop. And it just becomes a sort of, you know, I did this because my, the boss I had six years ago. I mean, there are a lot of reports, a lot of ways of approaching things, a lot of kind of checklists. 
things that you should really stop and say, what purpose, like the meetings, what purpose does this serve? Is it really worthwhile for us to do this? I've often had people do this, and it's remarkable. A lot of a lot of things, people look around and go, no, we just, there." I, in fact, I'll tell you, if, this is a short story, it's a couple minutes, but I, I love this story because it really goes to the heart of why are we still doing this? Okay, so the story is, there's a little kid and his mom, and she's making an Easter ham. And she gets the ham all ready and puts in the cloves and pineapples and whatever, cuts off the end of it, puts it in the pan, and puts it in the oven. And the little kid says, Mom, why did we always cut the end off the Easter ham? You do that every year. And the mom goes, you know, I don't really know. <laughs> I, I learned that from my mom. My mom always did that. So she calls up her mom. And she says, Mom, little kid's grandma, what, why do we cut the end off our Easter ham? And the mom said, huh, you know, I'm not really sure. I, my mom always did it. I thought it was something about the flavor or right. some loss. I, I don't know. So she calls up her aged, the great-grandmother, 97-year-old great-grandmother in the nursing home and says, Mom, why do we always cut the end off the ham for Easter? <laughs> and the great-grandmother goes, I had a really small pan. <laughs> and that's it. So they've been cutting the end off the Easter ham uh, for 70 years because of great-grandmother, right? And there are, sadly, a lot of processes in modern organizational life. They're like cutting the end off the Easter ham, right? So really look, do we really have to do this objectively? Is it worth the time and effort it's taking to do it? And then the other thing, and this is a, isn't that a great story? Yeah, that's a great story. That's a great story. <laughs> and then the other thing, and this is the first tip I've given the article, is if you are a, a leader, a senior leader, you have people working for you, really hold as your kind of mantra to only do what only you can do. Hmm. This is a big one. So if, if you're a senior leader and you're doing tests, you should always ask yourself, first of all, am I the only person who can do this? And then should I be the only person who can do this? Sure. So if you're not the only person who can do it, don't do it. If you are the only person who can do it, but you shouldn't be, then train or hire someone to do it and delegate it to them. Senior leaders end up doing a lot of things that people who work for them can and should be doing. So do you think that comes down to a, just a trust thing? Is it that they just have always done it, that kind of same mentality? What do you think is often the mistake that they fall into? It's a great question. I think it arises from a lot of things. Sometimes it's trust. It's like, I don't, I don't think this person could, can do this as well. And then you got to question yourself, well, then, A, why are they working for you? Or mm. B, have you not trained them well enough that you can trust them to do these tasks? Sure. You know? Often, I think it's just habit. You know, habit and kind of preference. I mean, right. there are some things I, I was I was talking to someone recently who's a CEO who used to be the head of advertising sales, and he still goes down and talks to the analysts and you know what what about this client and how what's the inventory on that? And I'm like, really? That seems like a terrible use of your time. Mm -hmm. And he said, Yeah, I know, but it's my comfort zone, and I kind of like doing it. I'm like, Well, that's a terrible reason. You know, <laughs> what can I do? <laughs> At least you're honest. I like that. that. That's what you need once in a while. A little, a little honesty in uh, in all of our lives, I think, always helps a little bit. I know we're getting a little uh, against the clock here. Um, you obviously are very busy, so we don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, any other pieces of advice maybe that, that you could offer up for our listeners who might be in this position, something we haven't touched on or something you would want to emphasize as, as being important to be able to sort of lessen that feeling of pressure on all those out there? Well, the last tip I give, and I think it's really an important one, is learning how to say no well. A lot of people don't say no because they don't know how to do it well. They feel like they'll be ungracious or how can I possibly say no to my boss? Right. Or, so it's important to learn how to say not this and. So even if your boss asks you to do something you're thinking to yourself, 
holy moly, I do not possibly have time to do that. And he or she's my boss. I can't say no. You can say, you know, I don't understand how I can get to that. Given the other priorities you've given me, let's see if we can shift those priorities or is there, you know, let's look at another way to get this done. Sure. So that's a really gracious way to say no. If, if somebody's asking you to do something and you're thinking to my, yourself, there is no way that I can do this without letting some other things go or without going over the line or without staying till two o'clock in the morning. It's really important to figure out a gracious, hopeful way to say no. I, I think you're exactly right. Like, that's the hardest part is is finding that right way to, to do it. And hopefully, as you said there, you can find that, that gentle way. Erica, again, we do appreciate you coming on. I think some great tips for, for those listening who, as I said, I'm sure have been through this. Maybe they're going through this right now, and hopefully this will help them out down the road. So thank you again for coming on and, and speaking with us. Oh, you're so welcome. Thanks a lot. And with that, we'll wrap up this episode of Employment Notebook. We hope we've given you some solid strategies to help overcome those overwhelming feelings that you might have at work. Our guest today, once again, has been Erica Anderson, founding partner of Proteus. Pleasure to have her on and share her insights with us. We also love to hear from you, the listener, as well. Just send us some suggestions to ljnradio at localjobnetwork.com. You can also connect with us on Twitter at the LJN. That's where you'll find us there as well. Once again, I'm your host, Tim Muma. Take care, everybody. 